This is Unfilter, episode 267 for January 31st, 2018. Yeah, I think it was two days ago I said I support Bob Mueller 100%. Um, I wasn't a math major. I don't think you can support someone more than 100%. So, look, my, my Democrat colleagues didn't want us to find this information. They, they did everything they could to keep us from finding this information. So, of course, they don't want Will us to Will it be embarrassing it. to them? Um, I think it'll, it'll be embarrassing to Adam Schiff once people realize the extent to which he went to keep them from learning any of this. So that that would be the embarrassment. That's right. Disease and illness-free. Welcome again to another edition of Unfiltered. Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. No, I'm reclaiming my time, Maxine. I'm sorry. I'm reclaiming it. And running the board this week, he's a new board op, Mr. Chris Fisher. Hey, buddy. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, my God. I just never never thought I could be on the show. Where is the uh, contamination filter? Where is the uh, shield? Oh, you didn't know? No. We spray everybody down there when they come in. <laughs> yeah, you signed off on it. We just we weren't very clear about uh, it. Fair, yeah. fair enough. You know what, buddy? We got a great show coming up this week. Turns out somebody big, a name you've heard of before, hmm. one of those types that pulls the strings behind the scenes, uh-huh. has been hacked. We'll oh. go, yeah, we'll get into that in uh-huh. our in our cyber segment. Right. And then yes, more more crap is going on, causing your Twitter feed to go crazy. We'll talk about this uh, memo stuff, the vote, and the State of Union. I know you were glued to the TV for the State of the Union. I, I watched the whole State of the Union. Yeah. I watched the Democratic response. Yeah, we watched and, it so you guys don't have and to. And I have a bit of internal conspiracy bacon. Maybe Whoa. it's maybe it's because of everything that has happened over the past five years. I've sure. become real cynical. Sure. And then with current controversies. So, yes, I will share that when it's appropriate. You know, uh, that tends to happen. That tends to happen, Chase. So why don't we uh, why don't we build up to that? All right. Let's build up to that bacon. I, I got the pan warming up. Yes, you do. And let's uh, kick it off with a little cyber. ASL. Did you hear about these heat maps? Yes. How great is this? Now, well, the ironic thing about this, and I know you're going to talk about the story here. Well, I might is, not, but David well, Muir I mean, will. Well, David Muir and his perfect hair will. Is... This was already brought to the military's attention years ago. This was brought up years ago, and actually, the military, you know, gave these. I was to just going to say they're the ones that gave. They're the like, fitness. here, we want yeah. you to be in shape. <laughs> I know it's so and, awesome, and this is amazing. Yeah, it is. We turn next year to news coming in from the Pentagon after reporting that fitness apps are compromising U.S. security. The apps track athletic activity using GPS, and do they reveal where U.S. forces are around the world? Some of the apps do share that data on publicly available maps. Are they inadvertently releasing classified or sensitive locations? Tonight, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis now ordering a review, and here's ABC's Clayton Sandell. It's the workout app that tonight has the U.S. military exercising better privacy. The app, called Strava, connects with wearable fitness devices like these. It tracks users, including some U.S. troops, wherever they go. Afghanistan, Iraq, and more. Now, years of data published in this online map is becoming a security headache for the Pentagon. The real problem here is that these devices have revealed U.S. personnel, special operations or intelligence personnel, in countries that most people didn't know where we are in. The map went online in November, but was publicized over the weekend by 20-year-old Nathan Russer. It shows you 
which buildings the military personnel prefer. Show It can show you how military personnel like to get from one part of the base to another and even where they take their afternoon jogs, which is something very valuable if you are looking to target the base. The military insists that troops were not compromised, but is now reminding fitness junkies worldwide to change their settings to private. And tonight, that app maker Strava says they are committed to working with government and military officials to try and address some of those sensitive areas. Now, I want to go a little bit more into the maps because that uh, is... Is well, they were sort of glossed over in the report. Yeah. There is some really interesting details released. Look at- well, I was going to say, if you saw in that piece the map of Europe and it was just all lit up, I mean, very secret. Yeah. Very, yeah, very yeah, secret. Yeah, that's what they show in the report. Right, yeah. Go. Go! Oh, sorry. It's- go. This there we go. global heat map by a GPS tracking company. Wherever it gets bright are the areas of the Strava app's most active use. Some places seem totally black, like Afghanistan, for instance. But we know there are American soldiers in parts of it. Zoom in, ta-da. The little bright dots is where Uncle Sam must hang out, or to be more precise, exercise. It was a 20-year-old student who first noticed how easy it was to find the U.S. bases. This particular track looks like it logs a regular jogging route. I shouldn't be able to establish any pattern of life info from this far away. So that's a real threat which the Pentagon's admitted. While only a few years ago they were happy to distribute thousands of Fitbits among staff. By the way, there must be a number of temporary or even permanent U.S. bases that we don't know about. Journalists have zoomed in on areas around Mosul in Iraq and... Raqqa in Syria. We're told Uncle Sam is there to train and assist. Since the rest of Iraq and Syria are pretty much all black, perhaps locals don't really have many of these devices. So it's fair to assume that the bright spots are where Americans train others and train themselves. Another journalist remembered this article and scrolled all the way to the capital of it's, a, it's an article talking about a secret CIA base in Somalia. Somalia. Some heavy jogging activity on the beach around what looks like the reported CIA annex at Mogadishu Airport. No one can say for sure all of this is correct, but the concern is out there. There's also, I, yeah. also one that apparently reveals an underwater base. Well, the one thing th- that isn't 100% clear to me, maybe you know, is is this just focused in on our troops or is this just anything with a signal? Because it doesn't, it doesn't automatically mean so, yeah. yes. This is U.S. No, um, what it is, um, it's sort of like uh, based on you. You eliminate. Well, what's the right way to put this? It's essentially in certain areas by process of elimination. It's almost only going to be U.S. military personnel. Like like when you go into Syria and Iraq, right. that's what they're talking about. Or when you look at uh, when you look at hey, there was rumored to be a CIA base here, and then you see jogging trails. And- so so we're the only group that would have those devices there would be no other group like canadian no 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 absolutely not but that's not the only thing but it's a possibility that it would possibly reveal like where troops are active i see but the other that which is risky but the other thing that it does is you can also look at the map for known military bases right that's true and then you could look at that and see well what is the activity pattern like what is the life's pattern in there like where do people and that could be where do people work out where that'd be great for planning attack just or how do people you know cross through the large the large base yeah that makes sense Okay. So there's some information yeah. in there. But yeah, 
Uh, it's it's going to get pulled down pretty quick. So go yes. look for it now if you're curious. So I mentioned somebody pretty famous got hacked. Yeah. It's actually your good buddy. My, I don't my know, friends? He might have texted you and told you. I know you guys are texters. Uh, yeah, uh, George Soros. <laughs> Hackers have leaked over 2,000 documents linked to billionaire George Soros and his uh, grant-making organization. <laughs> Do you hear the way he says that? And his... Uh, Grant-making organization. <laughs> George Soros and his uh, grant-making organization, Open Society Foundation. The papers exposed the group's ongoing attempts to influence political processes in Europe, in Russia, other parts of the world as well. Here's Guy and Chichikan. Leaked documents from George Soros's Open Society Foundations show persistent efforts by the organization to influence the political process in Europe. To reach out to European voters, the organization has funded local advocacy groups, social media projects, and journalists. Here's an example. Over $130,000 went to a project by a group called EU Observer. This project uses professional news reporting to foster debate on how open society values are under stress in the run-up to the European elections. EU Observer recruited experienced local journalists to visit campaign events, conduct interviews and solicit high-level op-eds in 16 countries. While the Soros organization has been doing all this hard work trying to influence politics in Europe... A leaked document shows the organization's half-a-million-dollar effort to find evidence of Russia's alleged influence in Europe's political life. The proposal reads, quote, The evidence is still rather sketchy and based more on strong allegations. Now, here's the part I like. is So after they do a little analysis, uh, they realize, well, shoot, you know, we have a hard time calling out Russia on this stuff because it turns out they're, we're just accusing them of exactly the same thing that we are doing, which I think is amazing that even we're that um, honest with themselves. So see that the Soros team recognizes the problem of trying to accuse Russia of influencing politics in Europe. Naming and shaming from us is problematic. We also are in the business of channeling money into other countries for political purposes. When he says democracy, he means Sorosocracy. It's, it's another leak. Another leak he used also at Davos. George Soros was at Davos, and he very slowly discussed the need for Facebook <laughs> regulation. It is decent, isn't That's it? pretty good. <laughs> it wasn't on a bad, That was a decent... Like, I don't know where I, that I came felt, from. I felt the little reverb in, yeah. in the voice there. That was we nice. We must regulate Facebook. I'm losing it. Since I'm losing the impression, let's move on and let's talk about those secret memos, those secret societies and much, much more. Uh, I, I, I started hearing about this because there was a hashtag, has so many other things in life now. Hashtag release the memo. New developments in the Russian investigation. House Republicans have voted to release a classified memo targeting the FBI for its handling of the Russian investigation, a move President Trump's own Justice Department has called extremely reckless just hours after the FBI director targeted by Trump moved up his retirement. Our senior justice correspondent Pierre Thomas is tracking all the latest from Washington. Good morning, Pierre. George, good morning. Republicans say they're just exposing what they believe is questionable conduct by Justice Department and FBI officials in launching the Russia probe. But Democrats are calling it a hatchet job aimed at protecting the president. The classified Republican memo alleging FBI and Justice Department wrongdoing in the Russia investigation is now at the White House, where President Trump has five days to decide whether to actually declassify it. The memo arrived at the White House after the House Intelligence Committee voted along party lines to publicly release the document. 
Republicans saying it's all about transparency. If there's wrongdoing in any federal agency, we have a responsibility to expose that and take the appropriate action. But the Justice Department has called the potential release of the report without time to address security concerns reckless for the potential risk of harm to national security and ongoing investigations. Oh, my. Democrats are crying foul saying the memo is misleading. You know, when they say Here's Democrats, they mean Adam Schiff. They, they mean your best friend. They mean Adam Schiff. And, you know, I want to point something out to you. You see where he's walking out of right now? The bathroom? I wish. <laughs> he literally walks out of where they just had their big, important discussion, and he walks directly to the cameras. Well, standard operating procedure for most politicians. There's not a single Republican on the committee that's doing that. No, they already did it. In fact, there's no other Democrat. He's the only one. Well, they got to have a spokeshole. He's he's literally the only person on the investigation committee who goes right to the camera afterwards. And yeah. I think it's going to cost him. Well, People are noticing. Yeah. Saying the memo is misleading, designed to shift attention away from the special counsel's Russia probe. This committee voted to put the president's personal interest, perhaps their own political interest, above the national interest. Last night's vote to release the report came on the heels of Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe stepping down five weeks before his anticipated retirement. We'll come back to that in a moment. McCabe, the subject of months of searing criticism from congressional Republicans and President Trump. This after the president fired former FBI Director James Comey. At issue, McCabe's wife had been a Virginia political candidate as a Democrat receiving a campaign donation from a Hillary Clinton ally. Oh my God, that is, that is the least of the issues. Republicans criticizing McCabe for not recusing himself from the Clinton email probe when he became deputy director. And President Trump repeatedly bashing McCabe in tweets. Why didn't AG Sessions replace acting FBI director Andrew McCabe, a Comey friend who was in charge of Clinton investigation, but got big dollars, 700000 for his wife's political run from Hillary Clinton? But Monday, President Trump refused to comment about McCabe. Mr. President, have you been told that McCabe is resigning? Thank you. Thank you. No comment yesterday, but sources tell ABC News in private, Trump has been openly disdainful of McCabe. So let's talk about McCabe. Let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, I want to talk about the, actually, I want to talk about the memo. I want to talk about McCabe. I want to talk about about all of it, but uh, a little more on Sheriff Woody. Um, I want to play his whole press conference. So he comes out from the committee. And uh, I would just, just let's watch the whole thing. This is after they voted to release the memo. This is where we are. Uh, we had votes today to politicize the intelligence process. That is a little ironic since that is literally what he's doing right now. But uh, what he's talking about is the votes were to then pass it on to Trump and give him five days to decide to release it. This hasn't happened uh, before. It's a a very rare uh, arcane procedure, actually, that they did. Yeah. Now, um, that also is a product of the fact that the FISA court has rubber-stamped so many things that there's never been a challenge to a FISA court ruling like this either. So this is sort of unprecedented at at a lot of levels, if you think about it. Uh, But the whole thing is he said, she said, right, left politicize the intelligence process, uh, to prohibit the FBI and the Department of Justice from expressing their concerns to our committee and to the House, uh, and to selectively release to the public only the majority's distorted memo without the full facts. Um, A very sad day, I think, uh, in the history of this committee. As I said to my committee colleagues during this hearing, Sadly, we can fully expect that the President of the United States will not put the national interest 
uh, over his own personal interest. But it is a sad day indeed when that is also true of our own committee, because today this committee voted to put the president's personal interest perhaps their own political interest above the national interest. And there's a lot of irony in everything this guy says um, because uh, he's gone to court to prevent certain releases of information. But uh, the the public got wind of the memo when certain Republicans started, uh, uh, I guess, I, I wouldn't even say leaking it. It it was, I, I guess it was just a, it was just really a, a, a single story that started in the Washington Post and it just sort of exploded from, from there. And initially... There was sort of an effort to say it was, it's not actual public interest, but it's Russian bots driving the interest online. Top U.S. Democrats are claiming Russia is behind an online campaign to release a classified Republican memo. RT's Caleb Maupin has more. Well, according to the Democrats, there is yet another Russian conspiracy against the American way of life. Now, uh, this is all regarding the hashtag release the memo. There is a memo that has been seen by top Republican leaders that purportedly and allegedly shows vast misconduct by the FBI in their investigation of Trump and Russia and possibly spying on Donald Trump. Um, Now, there has been a huge call on social media for this memo to be released. Now, the Democrats say that this is a Kremlin plot Um, and they are calling on Facebook and Twitter to reveal the role of Russian bots in allegedly promoting uh, this hashtag release the memo. Did you see that Twitter did respond? Uh, no, I didn't realize <laughs> that they did. Yeah, they did respond. They say, we, we don't have data that suggests that it's bots. Um, they didn't really go much further than that, but they were just were very sort of diplomatic about it and said, um, we actually don't have any data that shows that it's bots doing that. Uh, but they still kind of, they still, I, I just, that seems like such bullshit. Russian bots are, uh, anyways, moving on. Uh, so th- there is this story around McCabe. This guy, he's connected to uh, the the couple that have been texting in the FBI, and he was set to retire in just five weeks. But then that got stepped up a bit. Translated, it shows the, we think, because none of us have seen it. Right now he's talking about the memo. Except members of the House. It shows the use of raw intelligence data for political purposes. Congress should have known about that before it gave the people who abused this authority more authority. FISA is... That's a great point. Remember we just reauthorized FISA? Yeah, but you know, the part that really bugs the hell out of me is it was going to be renewed anyway. That's true. That's true. But if, if this... If this had come out beforehand, would it have? Yeah, you because so? yeah, absolutely. Because it's always going to get renewed, right? It, it is. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I'm serious. It's it, too it, critical it, of a national security. We blah, are blah, still blah. under a state of emergency. We got to protect our kids. Blah 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 blah. Okay. The for- I buy that. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Foreign intelligence surveillance. Act. Yes, and guess what? This is all about spying on Americans and using that material to embarrass, humiliate, or manipulate the Americans who were spied on. Spying on Americans without suspicion and without probable cause, but on the basis of a, a city block or an area code or a zip code or a, or a, a telephone number. So the, we just heard Democrats and, and some others are complaining uh, that if you release this to the public, then all of our sources and methods are going to get out there. OK, now, I think a lot of you probably are aware of this, but this is a pretty important point to sort of drive home. These memos are uh, – the memos themselves are not unique. In fact, they're commonplace and it's how different members of the House are briefed by the Intelligence Committee. And so they're, they're purpose-written by the Intelligence Committee staffers 
to remove sources and means because it's a summarization of the intelligence. That's why you'll hear one of the common memes right now is the underlying intelligence. The memo is drawn from the underlying intelligence and it is written intentionally from the start in such a way that they can brief people who have not been declassified or whatever the term would be, have not been given security clearance. Okay, so uh, yes and no. The This is a four-page summary of raw intelligence data. Raw intelligence data is the information that the spy agencies actually collect, like a, like a phone call or a text message or a series of these. When the Republicans prepared this, it was written by three members of the committee and Republican staff members, and it became apparent it was going to be released, the Democrats prepared their summary of the same raw intelligence data. Surprise, surprise. That's the shift memo. They come to opposite conclusions. So you have 10 pair of eyes, Republican eyes, looking at the same data, 10 pair of Democratic eyes looking at the same data. So we actually have two memos. They come to radically different conclusions. The committee votes only to release the Republican version. And that's the part that I have a little bit of an issue with. If it wasn't a political thing. Why would that happen? Well, well, hold on. And it was truly about, hey, we need to release the information to the American people. We need to be transparent. And that's a big key word yep. that they've been saying is transparency. Yep, yep, yep. Then you, you release it all. When and you, and well, okay, well, actually, he's about to get to that. Yeah. Other, otherwise, it turns into a partisan political issue. Yeah. And I it agree. just feeds into the fire. I completely agree 100%. In fact, I want to talk more about that after he talks right. about it. Yeah. Because I think you're completely right. I say. Release the data. You can white out the names of the people who gave you this information. Don't release the names of your sources. But let the American people decide for themselves who broke the law, who knew about it, and who looked the other way. The Department of Justice has said, oh, you cannot release this stuff. This is dangerous stuff. And then it turns out the Department of Justice, at the time it made that statement, hadn't seen it. Hmm. And this is where it gets a little dicey. In response to that revelation that the Department of Justice hadn't seen it, The director of the FBI, Sunday afternoon, went to the House Intelligence Committee vault in the bowels of the Capitol building. I'm going to stop that because I want you to hear who this person is again. It's a little dicey. In response to that revelation that the Department of Justice hadn't seen it, the director of the FBI, Sunday afternoon. The director of the FBI. Went to the House Intelligence Committee vault. Those are those secret rooms downstairs that uh, you can go in and you can look at. You can't take anything in there with you and you can't take anything out there. In the bowels of the Capitol building and read this four-page memo and looked at the data from which it came. And what did he do 12 hours later? Fired his deputy, Andrew McCabe. Yeah. So that's what's going on with Andrew McCabe. Let's circle back to, let me see here. Uh, I have a clip that I think would help us talk about this. I don't know if I actually set it aside. Uh, Let's see here. All my colleagues who are coming to the House floor tonight encouraging the President of the United States now to certify the release of this memo to the American public. The American public is a lot smarter than a whole lot of other people give them credit for. No, stick with them. Present them with the facts, the truth, and they can form their own independent judgment as to what transpired. I think that is generally true on a large scale. That was the first thought that came to my mind when I went to the basement the week before last, the basement of the House Capitol, to read this classified memo of the House Intel Committee, that this memo should be immediately released to the American public. So he's read So that they have all of the facts. Now. In addition to releasing the memo... I believe it's important to be releasing relevant material sourced in the memo. 
Well, stick with them. Now, tonight, the House Intel Committee voted to publicly release this memo to the American public. And at the same time... To your point, Chase. The House Democrats came to the committee calling for the, decertifi- the declassification and public release of their memo. Now, let me add a little bit more context on this memo that the House Democrats came to the floor asking to be released. They did not allow the voting members of the House Intel Committee to read the memo tonight before voting to declassify and publicly release it. Let me repeat that. The House Democrats, led by Ranking Member Adam Schiff, went to the House Intel Committee tonight calling for the public release of their memo, asking for their colleagues to declassify the memo and publicly release it immediately without giving them the opportunity to read it first. Thereby guaranteeing. I can speak for myself. Where is, where is he sourcing that from? He's, he's oh, the, oh, he was, the, it yeah, was there? He's on okay. the committee. Okay, all right. Uh, and so, that, I'm sorry, I didn't know him real quick. That is, uh, that's that adds an interesting element to it. I don't. I think they're going to have to release it. I think they're going to have to release both of them now, just because there's so much hype. Even even the even the Schiff uh, memo is going to have to get released, and I think it should be. Everything should be out there. Yeah. Everything. I'm 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 tired of this one sidedness. Uh, uh, for, from both parties. So uh, the Democrats I'm sick of it. The Democrats have been definitely positioning this as a as a very dangerous thing. Here's Pelosi trying so to. So help that. me understand this. I know you can't reveal classified information. No, I'm not doing. Though, I, I'm not. I'm not going to push you on that. But I will push you on this one idea. It is hard. I have to believe it's hard for the American people to have faith that anybody in this city where we are right now is out for the truth and not out for politics. And I can understand why they want it all released. Congresswoman, I can understand why they want it all out because they say, you know what? We can't trust you guys. Let us read it. Let us figure it out. You can- That's what we're saying. We yeah, are saying that. Yeah. For once, Como Wow, is, Como. He does, Kumu Como doesn't make me want to punch him in the nutsack for once. <laughs> Redact the names. You can make it safe enough for us to look at it because they say the same thing about you. Yeah. That the Russia investigation, there's no collusion. Nancy's not having guys- it. She's like, no, 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 I know. No. In fact, he's had to draw, in this, he has to draw her attention uh, once or twice because she just sort of zones out. I have a much longer clip on the supporter sink. To push in the ball the political advantage, to stymie the president, and they talk about this memo. Like it should have been in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, this thing. That this Lol. is the holy grail of the truth about what was happening during the campaign. And She's sitting there like chewing on her mouth. Yeah. That points the finger at the Democrats and the FBI. She's not even well, looking at him when he's this. talking. Uh, this we're weird. not going to become them, the Republicans, because they are totally irresponsible in this regard. We're talking about the intelligence community. We're not talking about... She really seems out of it, doesn't hey, she? Well, she's not making eye contact, which really bothers me for some reason. Yeah. But okay, so let's try All to focus. Right. Okay, I'm going to try to focus yep. on what she's yep. saying. So yep. I'm going to yep. back up a little bit yep. because I, she's really yeah. Dis- well, actually, we're getting distracted by her distraction. Yeah, yeah. And it points the finger at the Democrats and the FBI. Well, let me just say this: uh, we're not going to become them, the Republicans, because they are totally irresponsible in this regard. We're talking about the intelligence community. We're not talking about. So this is something that I'm hearing a lot. Since when is the FBI considered the intelligence community and not law enforcement? Yeah, they're yeah. NSA and the Justice yeah, Department yeah, again. Yeah. But it's over and over again. NSA, it's not FBI, just Nancy either. Yeah. It's the intelligence community. And the FBI. Well, let me just say this. Uh, we're not going to become them, 
the Republicans because they are totally irresponsible in this regard. We're talking about the intelligence community. We're not talking about some issue that we're having a fight about. We're talking about our national security. As I said, when I've been on that committee, had been on that committee a long time and serve uh, as leader in, involved in those issues. And this isn't to not to be politicized. This is about fact. It's about evidence, about data. It's not about making up a false memo based on a false premise that the chairman hasn't even read and then to put it out there. I so give it's you that he has, if he hasn't read it, that's a problem. We'll take, we'll take that you know, but up how with can you, How can you decide, if you haven't read it, that the, it should be revealed to the American people? Fair point, but what I'm saying is this. Are you saying, without revealing anything that's confidential right, or classified, so I obviously. I can't do that. I, she says that every time in the interview, and then she makes that weird like, okay, smile. okay, yeah, we know. Yeah, if you watch the longer one, it's like three or four times. Jeez. Get it, but you're saying that if the American people see this memo, and they read it and they think about it, that they could not reasonably conclude no, that there can't. was any problem with what happened during the election? Not. Of course not. The, the, well, then why are they so anxious to release it? Because it's not even true. That doesn't make any sense. This is where it starts to go off the rails just a little bit. Not reasonably conclude no, that there can't. was any problem with what happened during the election? Not. Of course not. The, the, well, then why are they so anxious to release it? Because it's not even true. It's not even true. They have made up a memo that isn't even true. Well, it's a standard process. It's, it's super normal all the time. And they're lying to the American people. So what are you going to do about it? Well, we, we have put forth a memo, which we reluctantly did, but said don't put this out unless it is reviewed and redacted. That now it won't be out when theirs is out. Doesn't that tell you something? The Republicans say we want the American people to see our memo but we're voting against showing the American people the Democratic memo. But you could read the Nunes team memo. You could just, you had to go down to the basement. But again, let's enlarge this issue. This, let me not get engaged in this Republican-Democratic thing. This is about security or not. And she also makes the argument that it's a distraction, that they're trying to make it a distraction. Out of her 10-minute tire, um, I'm sorry, 8-minute tirade, 30 seconds was, was good. <laughs> yeah i mean it's just like oh. i know they got a problem with her i think i think they got a real problem with her and and so now they so okay so we should probably yeah, okay so right. let's let's bring it up to date um so the memo has been voted to be okay it can be released adam schiff was re- i'm not even joking i think i have a link in the show notes can't remember adam schiff was reported to cry what he reported to cry um and uh, yeah so they voted to release it and then uh, tuesday night I think I think it might have even been like after the State of the Union. I can't remember the exact timing. The White House announced that they would not be releasing the memo. No, it was it was before the State of the Union because it was it was actually at the State of the Union. Which well, was, I thought which I was thought, an open mic yeah, at yeah. the State of the Union. But I yeah. thought actually that the official stance was there was no comment. Like you know, we we have not decided. I thought blah, it was blah, blah, Tuesday blah. morning they came out and said we won't be releasing the memo. I can, I can. Will you check? Yeah. yeah all right. We'll play this out. clip and check. Fox has learned that the Trump administration intends to release the memo by the end of the week. All right. Listen to what the president had to say about it last night. Roll tape. So here's the open memo. Let's release the memo. Oh, yeah. oh, don't worry. 100%. So that guy has read the memo. So he's, yeah, don't worry. 100%. We're going to release why, the memo. Why would there be a worry? And that's, that's a little concerning to me. Yeah. If, yeah. If, it, if it's about truth. 
Yeah. It, it, Republicans say this is about truth, getting it out and being uh, transparent to the American people. Yeah. The, I thought it's not a totally uncommon thing to say, oh, don't worry about it. Uh, 100%, no worries. It's no going to be out there. Yeah. yeah he's, of course he has to say 100%. 100%. I know. Here, I'll, I'll replay. Let's see. Let's listen. Hey, look at that smile on this guy's face. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so it's like Tuesday. I don't know. I can't remember when it was, Chase. I might have helped, but uh, yeah. no help. Because there was – I was down in Seattle for a canonical event, so I was sort of batching my news. Let's release the memo. Oh, yeah. oh, don't worry. He says, let's release the memo. And then Trump says, oh, yeah, don't worry. 100%. Could you imagine that, he says? Yeah. Then what does that mean? That almost sounds like we're not going to do it. Could you imagine that? It almost sounds like – I'm not doing it. Don't you think? That's a, Yeah, that's strange. Let's release the number. Oh, yeah. Oh, don't worry. It's 100%. Can you imagine? Yes, sir. Why, why would that be a laughy, happy thing? Because <laughs> they're going to burn it down. This place is coming yeah. down. <laughs> We're going to release the memo. Woo-hoo. Okay, 100% is going to be released. However... The FBI says, well, the FBI says it's, uh, it's accurate, but the Justice Department does not want it out there. Napolitano is here. Judge. So that was Congressman uh, Jeff Duncan, Republican of Tennessee, yep. who has seen the memo. According to the Washington Post, the president had not yet seen it. He's going to see it this morning. So he hadn't seen it when he said it's coming out. Oh, he probably okay. has had it described uh, to That's him. That's confirmed. Yeah, so I the found FBI... That too. What's that? What, that he hadn't seen it. Yeah. 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 I mean, that could always be an out, too. Now, now that I've reviewed it. Now, granted, he hasn't seen it. That being said, though, the, the clock is still ticking. So basically, we will know by Friday. It's five days and we will know by Friday. And the DOJ do not want it out because they believe it reveals sources and methods of acquiring uh, data, of acquiring in- intel. And they don't think it can be effectively redacted. Why do we, how do we know this? Because Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI, and Rod Rosenstein, the number two person in the DOJ, the chief operating officer of the DOJ, where's Jeff Sessions in all this? Yeah, another, yeah. another issue for another time. Mm-hmm. Spent about an hour and a half with General Kelly, the president's chief of staff, yesterday He's afternoon, up immigrants. trying to persuade him of the potential dangers of it coming out. Here's the concession they got from General Kelly. We'll run it past General McMaster and the national security team here at the White House to see if they have the same concerns that you do because they... So that's out number two. Out number two is we're going to run it by our security guys here at the White House. National security team here at the White House to see if they have the same concerns that you do because they utilize the same well, look, sources. I don't, just, I don't think this is pro-Trump, anti-Trump, and, and I want it out like you do. But I believe that Chris Ray's concerns and Rod Rosenstein's concerns are professionally grounded concerns. Okay, so get around it because all this talk is Listen, just wetting I, our appetite. Stuart, I, I don't would, see how the president can not release it I, after he says to a congressman, 100%. yeah, 100%, we're out there. So I would go even farther, no surprise to you. I would release the Democrat memo as well, and I would release the raw intelligence on which both memos are based. So then we can see who's spinning us, who sat on this information while Congress voted to extend FISA, who looked the other way. That's his favorite point. So what do you uh, what do you what are your thoughts now before before going further? Because, well, I really hope that they decide soon because my Twitter account can't handle it much anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Um, For me, it's all about. The truth. I've always been about the truth. 
I want the straight info without spin. That's why I watched the State of the Union before any, you know, I didn't watch any of the commentary. I just watched the, uh, yeah. the State of the Union. I watched the response. Yeah. In regards to this memo thing, it really feels invented to me. It really does. It, 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 and I play this back, and thank, thanks to my, my cousin, Devin, it, this plays back to last April when he went to the White House. He did an end around to deliver information to Donald Trump. And I always go back to that point where he didn't really follow the standard procedure. He went around uh, around the bend. And now, all of a sudden, as the heat is, is turning up, admittedly, on the, in the Russia investigation, and more information is coming out about the president in that regard, that anything that they can do to spin it the other way, to cause a mass distraction, that is how I'm feeling that this is going on. How they had to go in an arcane process to release this memo. Yeah. It, it, it really feels set up to me. That doesn't get me too much because this is kind of an unprecedented situation. But, but, you know, it goes back to the truth. If it's about transparency, as they say that it is, yeah, release it all. Here's, Do it all. Yeah, okay. I agree with you there. So my thinking is, is I've always viewed that... Uh, I've always viewed that Nunes... Uh, uh, going to the White House with the um, intelligence info a little differently for a couple of reasons. Number one, because I, if if I were in Vegas and I had to bet at all, I would be more likely to bet that this is a political sham by the Democrats to cover for a horrible loss from Hillary Clinton and cover a bunch of other stuff. And Schiff is at the middle of a lot of it, including protecting Fusion GPS at a government level. And Nunes found that out, and the memo that he's releasing is essentially a summary of what he took to the White House. Now, there's only a few people that would have access to that, and that's somebody on the Intelligence Committee. Now, if this has been known, obviously, for the past year, why now? Why not do it then? Why not do it six months ago? Why now? And that's why I keep coming back. I've been learning about that, too. That's why I keep coming back to this. You know, the, the timing is very peculiar to me. Well, here's what I think. <clears throat> I wonder if it isn't – I wonder if it isn't a little bit of a, a sign of how this whole thing has really degraded. Like when it started, yeah. there was like – when it started, it was before the uh, the Bob Mueller investigation. Right. I remember. And there was this air of a officialness and authority. You know, uh, it was this – bipartisan it was pitched as a bipartisan cooperation and then since they've been back after the holiday it the shit just has been getting really partisan like there's been immediate leaks of of uh, of hearings uh, Diane Feinstein released that entire fusion yeah, I gps remember. yeah and that was like and that was like a big deal because oh now it's a partisan thing and it feels like this has been unraveling um and i also would bet you they've been working on this memo for a while um, I don't know, though. You know, that's something I think we're going to have to – we would be – we would probably be better equipped to answer um, six months down the road, I bet, when yeah. we look back at this. Yeah. I want to I talk a little bit about uh, Adam Schiff, though, a little more because Trey Gowdy had something pretty pretty big, he said, there in the intro when he said that if this memo gets released, it's really Schiff that gets embarrassed. Let's talk about this. Um, yeah, he's got five days to decide that, that uh, it should not be made public. Uh, the indications are that he's not going to exercise that. Um, and I would just tell my fellow citizens, if you're interested in whether or not the dossier was used in court proceedings and you're interested in 
whether or not it was funded by by a political opponent, then uh, then you'll want to see the memo. Sure. Congressman, there are Democrats who are saying that what uh, the Republicans are doing with this memo and just a general drumbeat up on Capitol Hill is trying to diminish Robert Mueller and his investigation. Yeah, I think it was two days ago I said I support Bob Mueller 100%. Um, I wasn't a math major. I don't think you can support someone more than 100%. Gaudi mode activated. So, look, my, my Democrat <laughs> colleagues didn't want us to find this information. They, they did everything they could to keep us from finding this information. So, of course, they don't want Will us to Will it be embarrassing to them? Um, I think it'll, it'll be embarrassing to Adam Schiff once people realize the extent to which he went to keep them from learning any of this. So Now, what's amazing is the two news bots in the middle just just move on as if he doesn't say what he's about to say. And it's only the guy that drives me the craziest on the far <laughs> left that catches that he just had a little bit of a bombshell there. Watch the two news bots in the middle. They just almost completely gloss over his statement. He went to keep them from learning any of this. So that, that would be the embarrassment. He's like, what? What do, what do you mean? mean? Uh, I mean, going to court to 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 uh, help Fusion GPS, so we can't find out that they paid for the for uh, the dossier yeah. um, and that they were working for the DNC. Um, that's a pretty big step to go to court to try to keep the American people from learning something. So, look, if it were up to Adam Schiff, you wouldn't know about Hillary Clinton's email. You wouldn't know about the server. You wouldn't know who paid for the dossier. So I do find it ironic that he has his own memo now, because if it were up to him, we wouldn't know any of it. Aren't we all in search of the truth, though? I mean, Democrats and Republicans should be in search of the truth. If there are a few bad apples, they need to get out. But why is this such a partisan issue when if something wrong happened, we need to get to the bottom of it, figure out who's responsible, and then there need to be consequences. But why did the Democrats have a problem with that? Now, his answer um, has a lot of meaning to it, if you know today's news. I don't know, Ansley. Uh, my old job, it was about the pursuit of the truth. This job, it is about winning. Um, and I think that's what frustrates people, and that's how you get a 7% public right. approval rating. Yeah. Um, I, I want to know. I, I, and he just kind of goes on and says, I just want to know and, the truth. And, and when you and, have lobby groups and you have big money involved and the military and does for comp, yeah. we can keep going. Yeah, it's, and today Gowdy announced that he won't be going for re-election. And that, you know, there's a side side tangent to that, and then we were kind of chatting on Telegram about it earlier today. You think the rats are, uh... Well, why is it that there are so many Republicans yeah. that are up to, uh, not they're retiring, they're they're not going up for re-election, uh, they're they're stepping away from it. All of the, I mean, there I don't remember a time in my is it political thirty now? History. Right, it's, it's 30? 30 representatives. Yeah. Um, what I mean seriously? I mean, is it just coincidence, or is there something else going on here? You know, I know uh, the the, the secret know. society of Washington. I don't know. Uh, is there something going on? It could be people. I mean, you got to figure it's got to be a few things. I bet you that some people are like, I don't want to be the party of Trump. So you're gonna have some of those. You got to figure some of it is uh, like Gowdy. I think he genuinely. I wouldn't be surprised if everything he's scene and all this stuff because last week on the show i'm playing clips of him talking about secret societies in the fbi um and having watched a lot of hours of hearings where trey gowdy's asking questions i've always felt like he's been pretty on point with his questioning he gets a bad rap because he got associated with benghazi but his whole body of work's actually pretty solid and it, it's it's unfortunate because i think he's probably one of the better ones in there and uh he's leaving i don't know a lot of them are going 
I, I wish Adam Schiff would leave. I really, really wish Adam Schiff would leave. Are you okay if I just take a shot at Adam Schiff real quick? Well, he's your best friend, so I mean, Adam, you can say what you Democrat want. Democrat Adam Schiff of California. We've had a long-running dispute with the congressman on the matter of Russia. That began when he accused us of being agents of Vladimir Putin. This is one of my favorite moments of Adam Schiff right here. You're on the intel committee. Let me just ask you one final question. Can you look right into the camera and say, I know for a fact the government of Vladimir Putin was behind the hacks of John Podesta's email? Absolutely. December 7th, 2016. This is Adam Schiff. Uh, We played this clip on the show. I just... I just love this moment, and I feel like after this segment, I need this. Right into the camera and say, I know for a fact the government of Vladimir Putin was behind the hacks of John Podesta's Absolutely. Email. The government of Vladimir Putin was behind the hacks of our institution and the dumping of, of information. Of John Podesta's email. Not only in the of United John Podesta's States, email. but also in Europe. Okay, you're uh, not, you know what, you're dodging. Ed, Ed, Ed Tucker. <laughs> no, you, I like that he starts smiling, though. It kind of is endearing. Like, this is the moment I'm like, all right, okay, sure, what he's not so bad. You can you say, are, I know they did. John Podesta's and, emails, and they I, hacked And those. I think that uh, Ronald Reagan will be rolling oh, over Ronald Reagan, grave. fine, Ronald Reagan. And then I couldn't believe he goes to Ronald Reagan. You're carrying water for the Kremlin. I'm not which, carrying water which, for the Kremlin. You, you're making Tucker's response is so genuine. And you can't say they hacked. You're going to have to move your to, to RT Russian. Oh, watch, watch Tucker now. I forgot. This. It's classic Tucker. He's Tucker like television because you know what? This That's is perfect, just so this is beneath your plays. office because it's so dumb and you're being duplicitous. It's so dumb because <laughs> it's so dumb to RT Russian television because you know what? This That's is perfect, what? so beneath <laughs> your office because it's so dumb and you're <laughs> being duplicitous. I'm asking you, did they hack we Podesta's emails? And you can't say pers- it. Look in the camera and say they hacked John Podesta's emails. We know for a fact that Putin's government. Did that. You can't, and you know you can't, and you're hiding uh, behind I, I, weasel words. I, 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 <laughs> that guy's a liar and a demagogue, in case you didn't notice. Bill McGurn is a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Anyways, I just, uh, I needed that. You know what I mean? I just needed that. I, I'm really frustrated with that guy right I, now. They're all liars. He's wrecking this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. They're all wrecking it, too. They, they really are. I mean, really. Okay, let's go. You know what? Maybe some ceremony will make us feel better. All right. You know what? You ready for some pompous? Please. Some ceremony? Yes. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. So I watched this at the Grand Hyatt Hotel in downtown Seattle last night. I was sitting in a bar uh, at the hotel, and I don't know, I, I've, I, this is the moment that has been, like, for me, the surreal moment that I've been waiting for. Like, what is it going to be like to watch a Donald Trump State of the Union? I've been, I just, I've never been able to visualize it. And after the inauguration speech where he came out all guns banning, yeah. I thought, what is, what is this going to be? And also... How different of a Trump speech will it be now that we are post-Steve Bannon? And it, I think Trump took an interesting tact with this particular speech. He, he actually he didn't really tend to talk about himself very much. President Trump used his first State of the Union address to praise Americans and the impact of his presidency. Yeah, this, do that. in fact, <laughs> is our new American moment. Uh-oh. There has never been a better time to start living the American dream. The president touted the growing economy and highlighted tax cuts and other changes from his first year in office. Mr. Trump also condemned criminals who are immigrants, deadly gang violence and the opioid drug epidemic. And he challenged Congress to pass immigration reform. 
Democrats greeted much of the speech with dissent or stony silence. Stony A CBS silence. News poll shows three out of four Americans who saw the speech approve of the president's message. 75% is pretty high. Let's see. The, uh, think of my thoughts, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just don't you think? like The, the margin so, of error, by the way, is just 3%. Uh, so I, th- I think there should be a follow-up question. And, and the, the part that, that kind of gotten me is I think the overall message was, was pretty good. The problem that I have, though, is there's there's been just so much lies and false truths that have come out that have been straight up like Snopes out or whatever documented politifact of things that President Trump has said. And it's really, really, really hard to take what he says seriously when the very next day or even the day before he goes out on Twitter and basically contradicts things that he just says. And those are the things that really kind of just like. All right, is is he mean at this time? Is he going to yeah. stick to it this time? And but you know, you and I said that same thing about Obama. Yeah, yeah, but I I don't remember like the the amount like you know the the great like yeah when a, when a, yeah when a, and, and you can go back and listen to earlier episodes of of this show where I've thrown Obama on the bus too, and I mean when Trump says he's gonna he's gonna crack down on immigration. Uh, I, I I believe that when he says that he's going to try to uh, increase our nuke supply, right? I believe that too. But like, his his big campaign thing that I you know that we always heard about was well, I'm going to make Mexico pay for Mexico's going to yeah, pay the for the wall, it. yeah. And, and now it's well, you're going to give me money for a wall uh, if you want DACA to to go through, and <laughs> yeah. we're we're going to get Mexico to pay for it through other means. No, yeah. that's not going to happen. Let's be smart about this, people. That won't happen. You know, you and I, what we ought to do if we were smart is we ought to just become wall builders. Actually, invest in concrete, like <laughs> lots of concrete. <laughs> yeah. Solar freaking walls, buddy. <laughs> Highways. Eight in ten Americans who watched say they believe Mr. Trump was trying to unite the country rather than divide it. The audience, according to our poll, was 42% Republican and 25% Democrat. Oh, well, there you go. Major Garrett is at the White House with details of the hour and 20-minute speech. You know what I'm noticing about CBS? What's that? Is they have the lowest latency uh, remote uh, links. Like, Garrett's like... Actually, to be fair, CBS may have a fiber link. Well, geez, I would think, man. They're the Tiffany broadcast. The Tiffany broadcast. Garrett is at the White House with details of the hour and 20-minute speech. Major, good morning. (laughs) Good morning. President Trump last night did something he almost never does, made the story of his presidency about somebody else. The guests he featured and the stories he told amplified what the administration has accomplished and what it hopes to do in the future, suggesting for the first time what's ahead is less about him and more about the country. The state of our union is strong because our people are strong. President Trump used his first State of the Union address since taking office to call for what has eluded past presidents, an end to bitter partisanship. I call upon all of us to set aside our differences. Mr. Trump called for compromise on immigration reform with echoes of campaign rhetoric. Yeah, that's just so unlikely. I mean, you could just watch the Democrats weren't clapping and standing at anything. There's no there's there's so far from unity. Nancy Pelosi and the uh, really pretty much I'd say everyone on the left just hates hates him and hates what the Republican Party represents because of him. There's literally no way. There's just no way it's going to happen. Open borders have allowed drugs and gangs to pour into 
our most vulnerable communities. Oh no, someone else has been reading George Soros' documents. He recognized the parents of two teenagers slain by MS-13 gang members. 320 million hearts are right now breaking for you. And called family-based immigration a dangerous loophole that should be scrapped. A single immigrant can bring in virtually unlimited numbers of distant relatives. Under our plan, we focus on... That drew hisses from the Democrats as there are limits and long waiting periods. The president highlighted his first-year achievements, including economic growth and stock market gains, but made no mention of the Russia investigation that has put him at odds with his own government. Americans love their country. They also didn't slam the media either, which was... Uh, you know, a first. And they deserve a government that shows them the same love and loyalty in return. He suggested federal employees... Could he not use a better word there than loyalty? Yeah. Otherwise could be penalized. So tonight I call on Congress to empower every cabinet secretary with the authority to reward good workers and to remove federal employees who undermine the public trust or fail the American people. The president also tackled North Korea, citing two cases of Kim Jong-un's human rights abuses. Oh, boy. Including the imprisonment and mistreatment of American Otto Wambier, who died shortly after returning to the U.S. Otto's wonderful parents, Fred and Cindy Wambier, are here with us tonight. Your strength truly inspires us all. The president also singled out North Korean defector Ji Sung-ho, maimed as a boy and later tortured by the regime. I understand you still keep those old crutches as a reminder of how far you've come. So he had a strategy there. You know, you could see what he's doing, obviously, is he's using these stories to make some of his points where he can, instead of him having to say, uh, gang Im- uh, immigrants that come in and join gangs are killing people. He can, he can point to a crying family. It's uh, it's kind of savvy in a way. It's sort of like the way I explained it because I was sitting there with Noah at the hotel. As I said, he's playing the classics. Is what he's doing. Is he's he's hitting those emotional. The, the um, yeah, he's yeah. hitting the hits. He's playing yeah. the hits for the American emotional notes. Yeah. And uh, well, it's, it's exactly what I would expect from a TV savvy president. Yeah, it's something that. Uh, members from either side of any political party can relate to. I mean, it's symbolism, too. How, how are you going to hate on a guy, a North right. Korean guy, that try to get away from something terrible? And actually, yeah. you know, when I saw him up there, I'm like, you know, you know, I, I felt like, you know, and they, let me talk about this. This I think this is a good opportunity. Yeah. The whole standing thing for a minute. So so he, he comes in, you know, this, this North Korean refugee, you know, gets away from a repressing regime, is able to come here and live a dream, Right. He's able to come here and live a dream. And then later on in the speech, or maybe it was before in the speech, Trump talks about his pillars of immigration and how he wants to introduce a merit-based system. If we had a merit-based system, a guy like that wouldn't make it in because because <laughs> what it is he have to give, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't have it both ways like that. I mean, I honestly always thought— That's sort of been his thing on immigration right. the whole time. It seems I mean, like he wants I, it both ways constantly. Right. And I always thought that, you know— 
when I was growing up, I always thought that America was, you know, we've heard the term, a big honeypot, where, you know what, if you if you work hard, you can make something happen, right? Mm. And it doesn't, Melting pot, yeah. Melting pot. It doesn't matter where you come from. And it feels like now wants to lock it down. And in taking examples, you know, like this gang thing, very serious. I, I, I completely agree that, you know, gangs and opioid abuse and, and all these things that are happening to our country, but I don't know if that's the right way of going. You know, setting up a wall and and I just it doesn't feel like that's what America is about. But I also understand of the risks of all these other things that are happening. So it's it's a very conflicting thing. The standing part there was there was some there were some instances during the speech where the president was was telling to the to the crowd when they would point out to certain people in the crowd. And at the beginning, it didn't happen in the beginning of the speech, but towards the middle and the end. Please stand. Please, please stand. Please stand. stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it started to irk me. I was hey, just like, the other thing I noticed, why all of a sudden you're telling people to stand? He so also was, he was also to. directing people to clap. He was, in fact, right. they, they broke clapping records, but yeah. uh, he would stand back from the mic, stand sideways, and he would clap himself. Right. And that's basically, that's when, when the... When the Person on the, on the star of the stage is telling you to clap. People keep clapping. It's right. like putting the clap now sign on. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of funny to see that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't really I don't really know what to make of any of that stuff because it seems like it changes all the time when it comes to integra- immigration. So I'm I'm, le- I'm pretty I'm pretty confused by all of it. I did grab a few numbers though. Uh, he said uh, he mentions uh, America or American eighty six times. Taxes or taxpayers sixteen times. Families or family, 15. Strong or strength, 14. Immigration or immigrants, 11. The flag, five times. Infrastructure, four times. And God, four times. So there you go. That's the Trump uh, speech in numbers. I think you did uh, better than I expected. I do want, I'm trying to decide if I would grade him on a curve or not. But um, I think he did better than I, I think I did better than I expected. There, there seems to be a, a mixed response. It's all afterwards right there. Speaking of afterwards, there are what, four or five separate Democratic responses, including the official one. Um, yeah, that's what it was. That was. I, I, yeah, I think the public gave him a good response. What do you think of this five different Democratic responses? From Congressman Joe Kennedy of Massachusetts. When you have that many people giving a response. Inclu- so you got Sanders, Kennedy. I didn't. I, yeah, I, I only cared about the official Maxine one. Waters is giving yeah. hers tonight. Oh, well, she's reclaiming her time. Yeah. So the thing about the, the, the Joe Kennedy one is the chapstick thing is super distracting. <laughs> it. And actually, some people think it, it is drool. I can, and I watch the video, and I can't help but see it. Like all I can see is the drool. It's pretty bad for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I, I will say though, and his tone was off too. Well, he, you know, everyone has a different tone. <laughs> yeah, they sure do, Chase. <laughs> I just I don't know. He seemed a little hyped. Well, I, I he I mean he's a young guy. He's he sure younger, is. He's, he's younger than us, which is weird to think about. Oh, uh, I know, and he he was very energetic and very positive. Yeah, he sure I did. Was. I did pop a question out on Twitter last night. Oh yeah, and the question was, when did the responses become a thing like this? I remember when the Republican and Democratic responses <laughs> was just somebody sitting in a room with a nice American flag behind them, and they went through their ten fifteen minute uh, rebuttal, and that was the end of it. Now it's in front of crowds. There's there's elaborate sets and you're stuff right, yeah, and things right. like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like wow. Yeah, it's on social media and there's streams and yeah, there's five of them, which which does give a fractured message. When you have five different responses, it sounds like there's no singular message. Um, but you know, you got time to work that out. You got a couple of years. 
Go ahead. Figure yeah. that stuff out. You know, time. Mr. Chase, before we go any further, we ought to consider just taking a darn moment here on the show and uh, maybe doing ourselves a little mail sack. Yes! Yeah. Fascinating. What it's do you say? Ve- it's very fascinating. You want to do a little mail sack? Let's do a little sack. It's time to go ahead and pull it open. Rip. Just rip it open. This it's one's actually... This one's an interdimensional sack. That's right. It, you know, it's coming to you uh, from what's a what warp speed? What's the equivalent? Like fifty thousand miles an hour? Yeah, and anyway. we're we're on the uh, USS Unfilter. That's so let's right. go ahead and go into the sack. All open right. Up well, on screen, Mickey T says, "Hey, hey guys, I'm glad you're feeling better." On the memo, Dems trying to discredit it before it's released only makes me think that whatever is in it is credible and it is also a big deal. <laughs> I like how making me so want to read it more. Everybody's so suspicious. Yeah. On the State of the Union, all the Dems did was push themselves further from the right with their theatrics, more than likely making themselves not to get the coveted centrist vote and thus reducing their chances in 2018. So, Mickey, during the State of the Union, one of uh, uh, of, uh, the sister TV stations in Washington, D.C., did one of those... Uh, real-time uh, dial things, you know, where you can agree or disagree uh, depending on what's going on. And they had five Republicans, they had five Democrats, and they had five independents, okay? And they, they were monitoring them the entire time. And what they have found is with the independents especially is they were still barely leaning towards the Democratic side, but not by much. And we've seen this in many, like, polarizing state of the unions where you have one side or the other uh, you know, they'll sit on their hands or they sit on whatever and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's it's one of those situations where you kind of got to look out for, uh, especially in the State of the Union where, you know, you're going to have some very polarizing topics and and very, you know, passionate people, especially in regards, you know, immigration and, and taxes and, uh, you know, the, the big, big bullet point topics and that sort of thing. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. The next All right, I got the dog. You read the next one. All right, the next one comes in uh, from AT and says, Some interesting news from Australia. A government employee sold locked filing cabinets full of classified documents at an auction. The buyer broke into the cabinets, and the files have now been obtained by the media. This is the kind of incompetence the world would expect of Nancy Pelosi. But no, it's here in Australia. Also, on a personal note, I'm super excited for the hashtag the memo to be released. No idea what it will contain, but I think we are all ready to find out. Live long and prosper. Memo hype, Chase. Memo hype. And finally, last but certainly not least, Micah writes in and says, Hey, I missed the State of the Union, but understand it was a train wreck. Speaking of train wrecks, it's awful that one person died and others were injured, but the irony of a Train full of congressmen, women hitting a tr- garbage truck isn't lost on me. <laughs> By the way, that that is in regards to today. Actually, as we record this show, there was a train yeah. accident between a, a a train that was taking some Republicans to a, a retreat, I believe, it was in West Virginia, and they ran into a, a garbage truck on the railroad tracks at a at, at Great Crossing. If you want to be a part of the mail sack and you want to jump in Club 33, that's how you do it. Head over to patreon.com slash unfilter. I personally want to say a big thanks to all of you guys giving well wishes to Chris and myself uh, when we were out ill this month. Really bad month for illnesses, as you guys have been hearing Ugh. around the country. Ugh. So head on over to patreon.com slash unfilter if you want to be a part of the support team. Fascinating. Yeah, patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you, everybody, yes. for supporting the show. Thank you. We got three patrons last week. We're still, we're still kind of dragging a little bit. We'd love some more support as the show is uh, 
It's quite a bit to track these weeks. Quite a bit. And there's more coming up, too, over time in just a little bit. So don't go anywhere. Yes. The show's not even quite over yet. But, Chase, before the official section of the show's done, you yes. know, we're going to... Mommy needs a joy. Yes, time, mommy. Time for the high note, Mr. Chase. Yes. And uh, watch out. Watch out. It's finally happened. They've gotten to the children. Developing right now a potential drug overdose at an elementary school in Goodyear. We're told that firefighters rushed to the scene, and right now Phoenix Police is handling this investigation. ABC 15's Katie Connor is live at Encito High School, or excuse me, school, I should say, that's near Saraval and Van Buren. Katie, what have you learned about this? Well, police think the students actually ate marijuana candy. They started complaining of headaches shortly before lunch here at the school behind me. A teacher finally called 911, and once paramedics got here, they discovered the students were between the ages of 10 and 11 years old may have ingested edible marijuana. Fortunately, they were all okay and released to their parents. So the uh, some students, now, uh, I guess, brought in candies. They think. Do we do we know if this was the manufactured stuff or just some parents doing their own thing? I didn't. You know, I saw one picture that might have been the actual bag. I'm not sure. They looked like it looked like a bag of candy. This stuff isn't cheap, right, Chris? I mean, I don't think so. No, I mean, it's like it seems like it seems like it's probably something that they got from their parents. I, that's why I wonder. And. Obviously, since, you know, cannabis is in the news. I mean, let's not talk about the opioids heading the school. Let's talk about the cannabis heading the school. It's the children, Chase. you got to watch, watch the children. kids. Yeah. It, it, there is this conflict, right? Because when you – in most states, they have a structure in place that when cannabis was legalized, a lot of the tax revenue goes to the schools too. I, I also thought that it would go to like safety programs, Chris, to keep the kids safe. <laughs> that kid knew exactly – I mean, it was an intentional – it was an intentional. Maybe, maybe the kid was just having a stressed out day. And no, he, he meant he. I from what I I read into it, it looks like he meant to do it. Like oh, he, really? Yeah, yeah. It was intentional. Oh. That's yeah, not a not a good thing. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Yeah. But, but but to be to be one hundred percent clear, I mean, we do not endorse kids and brownies and stuff. That is not cool. You know, you need to be an adult. You need to be developed because th- they have done the studies, right? That you should it, never it, do it, it until you're four, not until you're 40 years old, I believe is what the study 40, said. 40? Got 40 it. Years four old. zero. There is, all, there is more money to be made, though, in California. It's kind of this weird, bumpy transition for California. I'm really surprised how much they're screwing this up. It is a great day, man. Happy New Year. In with the new year, marijuana legalization has come to California. And with it, a lot of money. This is a new industry. Just how big a deal is this? It's ginormous. It's bigger than I can even explain. And is California ready? There's still a lot of work to be done. From the worries and doubts... Is the illicit market to continue to thrive? To the hopes and dreams... You know, it's exciting and scary all at the same time. How Prop 64 is going to work? No, it messed things up even worse. Or how it's supposed to work. Is it going to be cost effective at this size? And then I like to think so. Because ready or not, the green rush is on. It's been, it's been, I don't know. I've been watching, I've been I watching. I don't understand California. I know. Because they, they have what? There's like five or six states that are ahead of them. Yeah. They had plenty of time yep. to get things ready. Yep. And they are in a cluster F of, of despair. Because yeah. <laughs> from like at every level, yeah. from like the growers to the sellers to the distributors to the, to the banking. And, it's, and, it's, and they can, uh, and cities can opt out just kind of like here where yeah. they can just say, you know, not, not our thing. We don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it is messed. It's all over the map. It's all over the map. All right. Well, I know we've been all over the map recently, so let's see if maybe for the next couple of weeks. Back to normal. For a little while, we can get back to a little normal. Unless something crazy comes up and, you know, you got to go fly out of town. Maybe I got to go live down by a river. 
I don't know what it is, but in the meantime, we'll just try to get we'll try to get on the straight and narrow over here on the Unfiltered Show, so you can tune in live and participate in our chat room, Discord.me/JupiterColony. There's the Unfiltered Room in there, and then come on over to JBLive.tv on a Wednesday. You can get the exact time at JupiterBroadcasting.com/calendar. The live stream usually starts around 3:30 p.m. Pacific, so you could just do that math. That's easy math. Ask your lady tube if you got one. She'll math it for you. Nice. Yeah. Or get it math for you at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Thank you for joining us. Mr. Nunes, you got yes, anything Chris. you want to let the people know about before we get out of here? You guys, you know, you might know that my name is very similar to some guy releasing a memo soon. Never heard of it. So you might want to try to follow me on Twitter and, and really see the the great pain that I'm going through. At Nunes, N-U-N-E-S, twitter.com slash Nunes. Also, please check out my content that I do. I put out a lot of good stuff, uh, and it's all over Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash TV, and also have a Discord channel, ggtvdiscord.com. Chris. Sir? You do vlogging. You not are, much you, you're, you're, Not you're, really. Not you're, much. Well, you're also, I did some, though. People want yeah. to see them. You're also proprietor of a, of a podcasting network or netcast, whatever you want to call it. I don't ever call it netcast, no. Fair I'm not proud to be a podcaster. But to work people internet follow you if they so chose. You can do that, Chris LAS. You can follow the network at Jupiter Signal. Don't forget the Patreon, patreon.com slash Like that? Made uh, it nice uh, and dramatic. Yeah. We also should plug the RSS feed. Subscribe to the show. That way oh, you can get it. Good old RSS. Yeah, get it every single week. It's still working. Get it every dang week. And we also try to post the full live stream when it cooperates at the Patreon page, patreon.com slash unfilter for everybody. If you're a patron or not, don't forget the overtime's coming up. A bunch of good stuff in there. More stuff about everything we talked about. Extra stuff. Who knows? Chase is a good buddy, the Vegas shooter. Oh, God. <laughs> don't do that. And a lot more. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, and we'll see you right back here next, next week. <laughs> you're going to die, man. Those jerks are out of here. The show can really start. It's time for overtime. I got the power. No, it's our patrons that have the power. Thank you to our three new subscribers, Adam M., William M., and Lapix. I like that. Are you a Steven Universe viewer, Lapix? Thank you for our new patrons, patreon.com slash unfilter. Almighty three of you. Repping the support, staying woke. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Okay. So I thought, you know what? Let's go classic this week. You know me. I love getting into Oh Nancy right here in the top of the overtime. Shakes it up. It's totally different from the rest of the show. 
And it's such a good cross-examination at what is inherently wrong and rotting about the Democratic Party and why they were losing elections like maniacs for years. Let's start with what brought me to Nancy and my analysis of Nancy to begin with. And it's her habit of reading right over the applause line, stumbling right through her script, where her aides have clearly marked, applause here, Nancy. But she just bulldozes right over it because she's scrambling to keep her mind working. And then, after she reads a little bit further, it triggers in her mind, oh, shoot, oh, shoot, they told me. They said, oh, Nancy, when you go out there, Nancy, make sure you wait for the applause. They must have the respect. And so Nancy pauses, and she tells the audience, please clap. I first want to pay tribute to the sponsors of the resolution, uh, Congresswoman Lynn Jenkins, Congressman Whit Steny Hoyer, Senator Roberts, and Senator Leahy. Thank you. Thank you for your leadership in getting this done so expeditiously. It is fitting that 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 was an applause line for our sponsors. Please clap. Yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. He healed from the grave wounds sustained while risking his life for a fellow soldier and decided to come to Congress and to serve the people of Kansas here. Not Canada. No, not Canada. (laughs) It gives my colleagues in the House and me great deep pride to know that Senator Bob Dole first served in Washington as a member of the House of Representatives. That could be an applause line, but but, but I guess not. (laughs) Okay, there we go. Let's keep moving on, though. You know, it's okay these days, I guess, to ask for a clap. Might have sunk Jeb, but doesn't sink Nancy. She just rolls right over and keeps on chugging along and... I wanted to replay my favorite moment from her interview with Chris Cuomo because, man, if this just wasn't... Christopher Wray, got, the director of the FBI, obviously, recently selected by President Trump, he got the memo. Uh, he could have come out and said, this is reckless, don't release it. And, and, let me just say this with all due respect. You really don't know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> but okay. did Christopher Wray look at it or no? I can't say whether he did or not, but he did not. He's... In order to redact, you have to have the people who know the I'm not saying redact. Thing. I'm saying if these concerns are so sharp and obvious. Well, they've already said not to release it. They already said not to release it. The Justice it. Department already said it would be reckless to release it. You said that earlier. In your the thing. DOJ said it. Oh, Nancy. Oh, Nancy. <laughs> okay. So I just love that moment. I know I, I shouldn't just, uh, I shouldn't roll around in it. I shouldn't wallow in it. I shouldn't get hung up on it. Because then I'd be no better than Dirty Maxine Waters. We're only hours away from President Trump's first State of the Union address, but not all lawmakers will be in attendance. A number of Democrats plan to boycott the speech, including Congresswoman Maxine Waters. Congresswoman Waters joins me now from the Capitol. She's a Democrat representing California's 43rd District. Good afternoon, Congresswoman. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. I want to ask you what your reason is for boycotting the president's address. Why not hear him out? Reclaiming my time. Uh, I will not be attending uh, the president's State of the Union this evening uh, because I know so much about this president. 
I have watched him very thoroughly as he campaigned. I've spent a year uh, fighting him and his practices. So I don't uh, need to listen. Documented. He's been documented to have told 2001 lies uh, in one year's of uh, serving. Uh, in this country. And so I don't trust him. Uh, I don't believe anything that he has to say. And there's no reason for me to sit there and pretend. You say you don't trust him. The White House says the speech is about unity. Is there anything he could say to you to get you back to the table? No. Uh, It's not anything you could say. Uh, Perhaps there's something he could say. You know, I think old Nancy there has a hard time listening sometimes. I've got a couple of different clips of her where she just fails to listen. Uh, I might save those uh, for you later and put them all together. But I want to move on to something a little more seriously. Uh, Hillary Clinton has finally responded. She released a Facebook post, is what the parlance says, to respond to accusations that she knew that someone in her campaign staff was a sexual predator and that she defended that person. Thanks for having me, Brianna. You recommended to then-candidate Clinton, Senator Clinton, that she fire Bernstrider. Tell us about how this information came to you about what had happened and the case that you made for him to go and ultimately what Clinton decided. Sure. So um, a young woman made a complaint to our head of operations about sexual harassment against Bernstrider. This is Hillary Clinton's former presidential campaign manager. Bernstrider, someone who... Jess O'Connell. Yes, Jess O'Connell, who's now the... CEO of the DNC uh, against Bernstrider, who she reported to. Uh, the incident was brought to my attention, and um, you know, I did my due diligence. I interviewed all the parties involved. I looked at the evidence. I looked at some emails that he had sent. I had looked at other documents, uh, and came to the conclusion that. Uh, there was sexual harassment involved, that the young woman was very credible. Um, and my recommendation to uh, the senator uh, was to fire her. And I was overruled. You weren't the only one who recommended this. Who- that was, she was overruled by Hillary. believe this was the right mm-hmm. avenue to take? Correct. Well, you know, there were a few people involved in the uh, investigation, so to speak, but the people involved in it... Um, believed he should not be working in our campaign. So she overruled you personally? I was overruled, yes. You were overruled. And what mm-hmm. was the reasoning behind not taking your recommendation on that? You know, I really don't want to... Well, he was a good friend with Harvey, and he liked to hang out with Bill. Divulge, you know, my private conversations or my private counsel to Hillary Clinton. Suffice it to say... I believe in a zero-tolerance sexual harassment in the workplace. I believe it now, and I believed it then. Yeah, and Hillary, you know, she's she's an old-school gal. She believes in giving them a hundred tries. You don't let them try a hundred times. But I also want to say, you know, it wasn't an easy call. None of these calls are, are easy. And- okay, yeah, okay. Thank you. Thank you for defending Hillary. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, And it seems that perhaps uh, the fact that the media is giving a former Clinton campaign manager who's saying that airtime, that's a significant data point in itself. Not even what she's saying, which is very important, but the fact that they're giving her airtime on CNN. Take that in for a moment, guys. Take that in for a moment. That's big. And then... Note this reaction to Hillary trying to be hip, funny, and in in something that was uh, popular. 
It doesn't go over well on CNN. Surprise, it was Hillary Clinton at the Grammys little cameo last night in which now you have conservatives saying she's trolling the president. Here's the clip. He had a longtime fear of being poisoned. One reason why he liked to eat at McDonald's. Nobody knew he was coming. And- Hillary Clinton at the Grammys reading a part of Fire and Fury. The food was safely pre-made. That's it. We've got it. That's the one. You think so? So that's Hillary reading the excerpt and in the, the book. And the uh, I'll black it up. I think this this part. I think this is it right here. Uh, in the book, what what is what is put forward is that uh, one of the reasons in his private life that Donald Trump prefers to eat McDonald's is because it is pre-prepared when he arrives. They have no idea he's coming, and it's unlikely that it's been poisoned. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, it seems seems unlikely. Although I could also hear someone saying that offhandedly. You know, hey. A lot of people hate me and they'd love to poison me. But, you know, that's one of the things that's great about McDonald's. I can go there. They got no idea I'm coming, right? <laughs> or, you know, he could – but it's portrayed in the book as if Trump is sitting there shaking. I just don't – I don't trust anybody. I don't know what to do. I, I'm afraid I'm going to get poisoned all the time. I, I can't eat anything because there could be anything in there. So I have to go somewhere like McDonald's where, I, where I, at least they don't even know I'm coming. So they, they can't poison it because it's pre-made. You know, but that's the version. But who knows really how this secondhand anecdote gets into the book. But of course, that's the part that Hillary gets to read because let's make fun of him for eating McDonald's. He had a longtime fear of being poisoned. One reason why he liked to eat at McDonald's. Nobody knew he was coming and the food was safely pre-made. That's it. We've got it. That's the one. You think so? Oh, yeah. The Grammy's in the bag? In the bag. Funny, not so funny. <laughs> I, just, it's, I, I don't think it's that funny. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's so objectionable, but I, I don't think it's particularly funny. And, and I'm guessing you're going to ask about Nikki Haley's response. Yeah, let's talk response. about Nikki Haley. You thank you for reading my mind. Let me just yes, set it up for everyone sure. who, if you don't know. You know, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. Listen, we've all talked about this Michael Wolf Fire and Fury book. There are all kinds of holes and inaccuracies in this whole thing. And, yes, that was a fun clip about, you know brushing his teeth, the president, depending on how you... It actually wasn't the part about brushing his teeth. Are you not listening to your own clips? ...you feel about the president, but at the same time, Ambassador Haley said Hillary Clinton ruined the Grammys, called the book (laughs) trash, and music and politics should be separate, which I think on that last point, like, when have music and politics ever been separate? (laughs) Yeah, especially CNN and politics, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. But again, another data point, isn't it? Hillary's not uh, being super well received there. In fact, the fact they're even grie- the, the, they're even grie- just giving that airtime, right? That to me is is an interesting data point in itself. Um, now let's talk about something that uh, happened around the State of the Union that uh, is sort of um, it seems to be a pretty strong right or left issue, and it's really unfortunate. I really wish this was one of those things. Of course, yeah, there's so many of them, but this is definitely if I had a top. If I had a top 10 things that I wish weren't divisive or if they weren't right and left, if I had a top 10 things, it would definitely be terrorists who do things like place bombs in civilian hospitals. It would definitely be on the list. Guantanamo Bay should be on this list. But unfortunately, it's become a polarizing right or left issue. Left-leaning politicians and Obama, the president, wanted to shut Guantanamo down. Bush... And the Republicans, and now Trump, want to keep Guantanamo going. 
And it was just this yo-yo po- political ball that keeps going back and forth when real human suffering is involved. Our evil, when possible, we have no choice but to annihilate them. When necessary, we must be able to detain and question them. But we must be clear, terrorists are not merely criminals. They are unlawful enemy combatants. You can see where this is going. And of course, the problem with that statement on its face, in a simple definition, seems somewhat reasonable. But we both know the problem is the term terrorist is a floating definition. And it seems to be one that is expanding. And when captured overseas, they should be treated like the terrorists they are. In the past, we have foolishly released hundreds and hundreds of dangerous terrorists, only to meet them again on the battlefield, including the ISIS leader, al-Baghdadi, who we captured, who we had, who we released. So today, I'm keeping another promise. I just signed, prior to walking in, an order directing Secretary Mattis, who is doing a great job. Thank you. (laughs) Ad lib. Yeah, ad lib. Great job. To re-examine our military detention policy and to keep open the detention facilities in Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, let's give that a real hearty round of applause. Yeah, imprisoning people! Indefinite detention! I'm asking Congress to ensure that in the fight against ISIS and al-Qaeda, we continue to have all necessary power to detain terrorists wherever we chase them down, wherever we find them. You know, like in the country of the United States of America. And in many cases, for them, it will now be Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, so that's a thing. So here we go again. Here we go again. Now it's a yin, now it's a yang. And uh, that is also true for how we handle Russia, apparently. Well, the U.S. is not planning new sanctions against Russia. After releasing a list of prominent Russians said to have close ties to President Putin, the Treasury Department revealed the names last night under a law meant to punish Russia for U.S. election meddling. More than 200 officials and wealthy businessmen are named. Elizabeth Palmer's in Moscow outside the Kremlin, where Putin calls the list a hostile step. Elizabeth, good morning. Doesn't it seem as if, I mean, all of this is a little, pre- all of these sanctions, aren't they a little premature until Bob Mueller's uh, investigation is wrapped up and we have a complete set of findings and perhaps even the House and Senate's investigations? 
I thought we were a country of laws and due process. Good morning. President Putin has now reacted to the list. He says it complicates U.S.-Russia ties. And then he joked that he personally was a little offended not to be on it. Seriously, though, there are a lot of high-powered Russians who are relieved this morning, some of them in the offices in the Kremlin behind me. They thought this list might expose embarrassing details either of their political affiliations or of their vast wealth, but it does neither. It's just really a list of names and job titles. It includes obvious Putin allies like the foreign minister Sergei Lavrov and business heavyweights like Hermann Greff, the head of Russia's biggest bank, and Oleg Deripaska, the former business partner of Paul Manafort, President Trump's ex-campaign manager. But there's no singling out of people who are especially close to Putin or especially corrupt. The U.S. Treasury spells out that being on the list does not mean that sanctions will necessarily follow. So the question everybody here is asking is, what exactly is it for? John? Elizabeth Palmer in Moscow, thanks. You know, the White House says that they don't need to implement sanctions because Moscow is being deterred. But as you know, the CIA director said Moscow is still interfering in, in American elections. So they don't they're not really being deterred. Well, <laughs> that's his accurate assessment there, isn't it? Well, at least the CBS morning guy has a solid take on everything. And CNN is breaking right now news about a meeting in December between President Trump and the Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein, the Justice Department official supervising the Mueller probe. Sources say that Rosenstein visited the White House seeking President Trump's support in fighting off document requests from Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee in what Democrats say is an attempt to undermine the FBI and, more broadly, the Mueller investigation. But according to our sources, President Trump was more concerned with other issues, such as Rod Rosenstein's loyalty. <laughs> CNN's Evan Perez and Pamela Brown join me now. They're breaking this story. And Pamela, the deputy... That's right. Breaking news from December? The attorney general went to the White House in December. And then what happened? So this was a meeting in the Oval Office in December between President Trump and Rod Rosenstein. Uh, Don McGahn, White House counsel, was also there, we're told. And at the time, the, the intent of this meeting was Rosenstein asking for the president's help to block document demands from House Intelligence Chairman Devin Nunes. Uh, but sources familiar with this meeting tell us that the president had other things on his mind ahead of Rosenstein's upcoming testimony before a House committee. You may recall that testimony back uh, last December. The president asked Rosenstein where he thought the investigation of links between Russians and his campaign was headed. And he went on to ask whether Rosenstein was, quote, on my team. Now, as a reminder, Rosenstein oversees Mueller's investigation, the Russia investigation. But this is only the latest episode to come to light portraying a president who often asks questions that sometimes crosses a line that presidents traditionally have tried to avoid when dealing with the Justice Department. Yeah, because they have any fucking idea. They have any idea. They have any idea what kind of conversations Obama had with uh, what was his face during Fast and Furious. Like, or when, what about when Bush was spinning up the NSA surveillance program? Like they have any idea. But this exchange could raise further questions about whether Trump was seeking to interfere in the investigation by special counsel Robert Mueller, who was looking into potential collusion by the Trump campaign and obstruction of justice by the White House, Jake. It's a shocking. So the president, according to your sources, asked Rosenstein where the Russia investigation was heading mm -hmm. and asked him 
if he was on his team. Asked him for essentially a loyalty oath. Uh, Evan Perez, uh, the former FBI director, James Comey, uh, has testified uh, that the president asked him for his loyalty. Did Rosenstein think this was a similar request? Well, right. Uh, we're told that Rosenstein appeared surprised by the president's comments uh, and his questions. He, he didn't provide any details about the direction of the Russia investigation, but he responded awkwardly to the president's team request. He said, quote, of course, we're all in your team, Mr. President. Now, at that December hearing, shortly after this White House meeting that we're talking about, Rosenstein was asked about loyalty pledges. Now, here's what he had to say. Is it ever appropriate for the president of the United States to demand that Department of Justice official or FBI director take a loyalty pledge? I don't have any opinion about that. Congressman, nobody's asked me to take a loyalty pledge other than the oath of office. And that was December 13th. So he either lied under oath there or something else is going on. Perhaps we will see. We will stay tuned to find out. I want to talk a little bit about, well, I don't want to talk about the Vegas shooting at all, but it's something we need to talk about. And Laura Ingram uh, has uh, gone to Vegas to be all dramatic about it and tell you a little bit about it. I'm reporting tonight from Las Vegas, where almost four months after the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history, there are still so many unanswered questions. It's bizarre. We made repeated requests to Vegas PD for one law enforcement representative to update us on the investigation on air, of course, into killer Stephen Paddock. And they provided us with only this. It's a terse email from the public information officer, Laura Meltzer, that reads in part, no one from the LV MPD will be participating in any interviews about the one October incident for the Ingram angle. Oh, thanks. Well, while some news, new information has trickled out over the last few days, I say most of it, when I really read through it, called through it, only raises more questions. A lawyer for the police department says charges may be coming soon against someone else. And it's stemming from what officers discovered in that Mandalay Bay hotel room on October 1st. Remember, inside they found Paddock dead, there's 47 guns, Thousands of spent cartridges and other equipment. He had all those bags that he somehow was able to get into the hotel by himself. His girlfriend, Mary Lou Danley, you see her there, who claims no foreknowledge of the shooting spree, has admitted now that her fingerprints are probably on some of the ammo because, get this, she helped load the cartridges. I have other information on her, too. You're not going to want to miss that coming up. Federal court documents that were just made public because the press was pressing for them revealed that the FBI, as early as October 6th, Uh that's just five days after the shooting, believed that Danley was the most likely person who aided and abetted Stephen Paddock. So where is she now? Why don't we have more information on this woman? And why were they so eager so early on to say Paddock acted alone? After reporters pressed for the contents of search warrants in the aftermath of these killings, the federal government did release... 315 pages of material in the last few days. But the Las Vegas Police Department has basically gone radio silent, citing concerns about the ongoing investigation. I wonder why that is. Could somebody up above be pressuring them? And who would that be? FBI! Well, now a federal judge is mulling the request from the Associated Press and the Las Vegas Review-Journal to force the release of search warrant affidavits and other evidence. 
such as inventories of what was obtained from their searches. Very important. There are many questions that remain unanswered. The paddock home was ransacked before authorities could return. That was on October 10th. Again, why wasn't that locked down? And what happened to Jesus Campos, the Mandalay Bay security guard who exchanged fire with Paddock and was injured? We saw him on Ellen once and then never again. And where is all the surveillance video of Paddock gambling at the casino, checking in with all those bags and of anyone entering or leaving his hotel room? Why wouldn't they release that? And why, given all that we're now learning, again, were authorities so quick to declare this a lone wolf shooting with no accomplices? So let's stop there. Uh, She goes on and on if you want to watch more in the supporter sink. And let's talk more about that second man. And it it sounds like the way authorities found out about this guy was because there was an Amazon box for him in Paddock's room. New documents reveal the name of the second person of interest in the Las Vegas shooting. Police believe that Douglas Haig may have conspired with gunman Stephen Paddock, but it is unclear if it's still under investigation. Haig had sold Paddock ammunition the month before the October attack that killed 58 people and wounded hundreds of others. Oh, yeah, I don't think it was an Amazon box. In fact, I think it's even weirder than that. Maria Villarreal spoke with Haig for an interview that you'll see only on CBS this morning. Maria, good morning. Good morning. Doug Haig was contacted just one day after the shooting when investigators found an Amazon box with his address. Oh, it was an Amazon box. I thought I misread that. Wow. <laughs> on it inside Stephen Paddock's Las Vegas hotel room. When we spoke with Haig, he told me he had no idea what Stephen Paddock was planning to do when he met him just a few weeks before the massacre. I couldn't detect anything wrong with this guy. Doug Haig uh, says he sold Stephen Paddock 720 rounds of ammunition. You know, you know, just 720 rounds. He paid a full price for him, just normal. From his home business. He told me exactly what he wanted. I handed him a box of the, with the ammunition in it. and So was it an Amazon box or not? I mean, it sounds like Paddock got to this guy's house. This guy runs his business out of his house. Paddock gets a box. So it must have been one of this guy's Amazon boxes. So the ammo didn't actually come from Amazon. Didn't, does Amazon sell ammo? No, I don't think so. I'm going to just guess. No, I've never looked. And so this guy, I mean, he must not have suspected anything. Because why else would you give – you wouldn't give a guy a box with your name and address on it if you thought he was going to go shoot people up or, or even sell ammo to ISIS. He paid me and he left. The rounds he sold are called tracer ammunition, bullets that leave a visible trail when fired. He said he was going to go put on a light show. You know, uh, who buys tracer ammunition? Who buys that? Discord room, who buys tracer ammunition? And I can't remember whether he said for or with his friends, but that's what he did say. But newly released search warrant records filed last fall by the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department say Haig may have conspired with Stephen Paddock to commit murder with a deadly weapon. Haig strongly denies that. I felt that they were hoping that they could find a connection between myself and Paddock that would go back showing that I supplied him with most of his ammunition, possibly even some firearms. They're not going to find it. Um, I talked to the guy three times. It's unclear whether Haig is still a person of interest, but he was the only one mentioned by name in the search warrant other than Mary Lou Danley, Paddock's girlfriend. Authorities have since said they don't plan to bring charges against Danley. I feel horrible. Haig doesn't blame himself. 
But within weeks of the massacre, he still decided to shut down his business. I'm still racking my brain for what did I miss? Uh, why didn't I pick this up? Haig has not been charged. His attorney says he continues to work with investigators. We did reach out to the FBI and local law enforcement, but neither would comment about this new information because this is still an ongoing investigation. Isn't that interesting? It's just a crazy turn of events, I suppose, huh? If only there was some sort of agency that was constantly monitoring everyone who swore to stick with honesty and openness. Wait, what? Journalists in the U.S. have noticed a quietly made edit to the official mission statement of the National Security Agency online. It turns out the words honesty, trust and openness are now all gone. The old core values Uh-oh. used to begin with the word honesty, saying that the American people have placed great trust in the NSA and therefore the agency promises to honour that with openness. Well, now it instead starts with the phrase commitment to service. Here's how the NSA explained the changes. Commitment to service, respect for the law, integrity, transparency, respect for people, accountability. Um... You might as well go ahead and scratch transparency off that list because nobody is buying that. And I'm going to go ahead and say scratch integrity off. Uh, You don't get to choose if you have integrity. You either do or you don't. And because you have had a bit of a bit of a bit of a history, a bit of a history like Lovent, for example, love intelligence. We're going to go ahead and scratch integrity off as well. And because you're constantly violating the fundamental law of our country, the Constitution, let's go ahead and scratch off respect for the law and accountability. So the only thing left on their entire list that is somewhat legitimate is commitment to service, which sounds like an Orwellian justification to do anything in service of your country. It's nothing more than a website update. That's all it is. (laughs) The effort to uh, delete words that are um, that mean a lot to Americans such as honesty and and uh, transparency and what have you is is something that uh, uh, is important but if if the national security agency is deleting it uh, I think that that it means that uh, they're getting more uh, according to reality uh, as to just how these intelligence agencies work uh, they are they, they're not called the deep state for nothing and um, and and the only thing that they did agree that they did keep was the provision of uh, uh, respecting the law, and uh, and but but even there they they fudge on that. Producer Matt produ- uh, producer Matt produces in the chat room that uh, it's not uncommon to buy like a thousand rounds if you're going to go out and have some fun, and you just buy up at a few months at a time. He has family that does that. Um, now that thing about the NSA, I say this. It's, it does matter. And the reason why it does matter is more than a website update. The reason why it matters is because a bunch of bureaucrats – see, I was trying, I'm trying to be nicer. Uh, a bunch of bureaucrats sat around in meetings for probably a absurdly long amount of time to discuss what their core values are. So that way they can put it up on posters, they can email it out to all staff, they can put it up on the website, they put it in the handbook. These are our core values. Anyone who's ever been in a business or in a government institution, this is something that the middle management layer really gets off on. This is like their thing. This is what they're there for, right? Focus the troops, set our mission, get our goals, and then we build everything around this. It's really going to matter, and we're going to put it on a poster. 
And so if they decided to take honesty and things like that off the list, it, it does actually kind of matter, especially when you are an institution like the NSA. Speaking of institutions, conservative institution Trey Gowdy announces he is not running for re-election. Another House Republican joining the growing list of lawmakers the who is leaving list. office. Now we have Republican Congressman Trey Gowdy just announced that he will not seek re-election come uh, fall of 18. The House Oversight Committee chairman is a former federal prosecutor and says, quote, whatever skills I may have are better utilized in a courtroom than in Congress, and I enjoy our justice system more than our political system. Congressman Gowdy made a name for himself <laughs> running the, the House Benghazi <laughs> investigation. Remember this? Madam Secretary, I understand there are people, frankly, in both parties who have suggested that this investigation is about you. Let me assure you it is not. Madam Secretary, not a single member of this committee signed up to investigate you or your email. We signed up to investigate and therefore honor the lives of four people that we sent into a dangerous country. My question is, how did you decide when to invoke a people in process, and who just got to come straight to you? Because it looked like certain things got straight to your inbox, and the request for more security did not. Yes, personal uh, email came to my personal account. Work-related email did as well. Yeah, that uh, that was where Trey got got his name, but uh, he's actually been pretty fun to watch, even the most recent investigation. So I would I would uh, I wouldn't sell him short. Uh, he seems to be, as they say, a straight shooter, but actually for real. And uh, I'd say he's one of the better ones on the right and the left. And so uh, one of the better ones, I think, is leaving. And I feel like Trey Gowdy's the kind of guy where some Republican corruption shit was going down. He wouldn't. I don't know if he'd go out there and, and be making a big media stink about it, but I think he'd still hold their feet to the fire or he would have. I guess he would have. I suppose he's moving on now. The media has so much to talk about with secret memos and uh, secret societies, lots of secrets, right? Russia, Russia investigations, the State of the Union, it's crazy weather all over the place, world events are nuts. Of course, there's the situation going on in Syria. So that's what they're talking about, right? They're all talking about all these di- – what? What's that? I'm sorry. Oh. Oh, I'm getting a live feed from producer Matt here. He says, no, uh, the Western media isn't talking about the situation in Syria at all. Well, then, I guess we can't uh, guess we can't update anybody on what's going on with Turkey. And uh, what's that? Oh, oh, RT's covering it. Washington has accused Turkey of destabilizing northern Syria after Ankara announced it's extending its military operation closer to positions held by U.S. troops in the region. Turkey's operation began last week and is targeting Kurdish militia. Some of the groups are considered a terrorist by Ankara, but allies by Washington. The U.S. State Department has described what is happening in northern Syria as a shame. People now have to flee an area that was previously considered pretty stable. I mean, what a shame that is. Think about all that this country (laughs) has been through. Yeah, it's a real shame. It's a real shame. Why were they there in the first place? And now we're looking at another disruption in northwestern Syria because Turkey is taking his eye off the ball, ISIS, and going after uh, the PKK at this time. 
The weapons have been provided to the YPG by the United States. The promises which have never been kept by a United States since Man Beach. Lately, Trump's statements saying that we won't give any weapons to YPG anymore, even as he was saying that we are not giving in last night's telephone conversation, created a trust crisis. However, the phone call between the Turkish and American presidents mentioned by Ankara's foreign minister there has been viewed differently by the two countries. President Trump relayed concerns that escalating violence in Afrin, Syria, risks undercutting our shared goals in Syria. He urged Turkey to de-escalate, limit its military actions and avoid civilian casualties. The White House statement about the content of the phone call between Trump and Erdogan was probably drafted before the conversation took place because it did not reflect the truth. <laughs> That's quite the statement. Our Washington correspondent, Samira Khan, looks at the deteriorating relations between the two allies. No matter how many times Washington says Ankara is its ally, the reality is far from it. As distrust between the two grows stronger, U.S.-Turkish relations are headed south. Uh-oh. Turkey is an important NATO ally. US State we Department. understand, fully understand Turkey's concerns. America is in the process of creating a terrorist army on our border. America, do not encroach on our borders. Do not provoke us or we will run out of patience. You can't imagine at some point they've got to go this direction. We've been meddling over there and we're creating a bunch of psychopaths that are armed and trained and they have equipment and they have networks and contacts and leverage. Uh, Something's going to give. It's going to have to. And it's going to really mess with that situation in Syria. It's really going to mess with that situation. And I, I really, I really just wish we could just dial it back and just say, okay, all right, get our guys out there, get the CIA out of there, get everybody with their Fitbits out of there. And uh, let's just dial this thing down. Let's let the people that, that are in the area just manage the situation. We start this evening with U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson speaking with his Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, today. According to the State Department, the diplomats discussed Russia's role in ensuring the Assad regime plays a constructive role in the U.N.-led Geneva process. Meanwhile, following allegations of a chemical attack in Syria, U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, has accused Russia of preventing the U.N. from carrying out its duties in the country. RT correspondent Anya Parnfield is here with the breakdown tonight. This is a back and forth between Russia and the United States we haven't seen for quite a long time. It always seems to happen around Syria, Ed, and tensions did run very high at the United Nations this week as U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley accused Russia of issuing a distraction. Hmm. Today, Russia is yet doing what it does best when it comes to chemical weapons. Russia is running from the facts. Russia has the audacity to lecture this Security Council about how to stop the use of chemical weapons. I know I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. In the past year, Russia used its veto three times, three times, to kill the joint investigative mechanism in Syria. This is uh, getting ugly. And as the situation gets worse over there, there's more and more of... I don't know, what's the right way to put it? There's it's it's like a there's more of a not our reputation. Well, yeah, I guess it is our reputation. That's probably the best way to put it. And more and more, it's our reputation on the line. <laughs> oh boy, this is yeah. 
For more on this, we go to former CIA officer and counterterrorism specialist Philip Giraldi. Mr. Giraldi, good to have you with us tonight. Uh, how do you assess what's going on between the United States and Russia right now over Syria? Well, I think uh, Anya explained it very well. I, uh, I th the reality is here that the United States is a bit player in this uh, in this uh, 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 resolution of the conflict. The uh, United States did very little. Uh, ISIS was basically defeated by Russia and Iran and the Syrian government. And uh, the United States uh, feels it's left out in the cold. So it's, it's uh, pushing all the buttons it can. We have, again, this claim of chemical weapons uh, taking place in an area controlled by the rebels, uh, which has no credibility whatsoever. Well, that's, so, that's my uh, next it's, question it's, to you. And I, I, and I think that's really cuts to the heart of it. How good is our intelligence on what's going on in Syria, in your opinion? I would say we have zero intelligence in terms of something like this, uh, a claimed chemical attack taking place in an area controlled where no one, including the United States, has access to it. They certainly have satellite photos showing whatever uh, the rebels have been able to stage, and uh, they probably have some other sensors and things, but they really don't have good intelligence on this sort of thing. That is that is an on-point assessment. That guy summed it up in ways that I haven't been able to sum it up in like the last year. Okay, we're coming into the final stretches of the overtime. And I think maybe what we should do is uh, we should have a little therapy for Chris. If you've come this far, then perhaps you'll allow me this moment. This is something that I watch every single week. In fact, I'm not even kidding. I just cleared out about a terabyte this last Saturday of footage just like this that I have to go through all the time. I don't know what the media's problem is. Like I just said earlier, there's plenty of things they could be talking about. But instead, they make me watch this. President Trump's relationship with water has been fluid. <laughs> so maybe it's no wonder some viewers were mesmerized by the covered glass of water beside him during an interview with Piers Morgan... He's covered the top of his water glass with a paper coaster thing. That is proper paranoid. Does he think Piers is going to lace his drink? Piers, his own water unprotected, later described the president's designated water woman preparing for his arrival. And she comes back with the water, right? The presidential water, which has all been secured. It's Watergate. She then gets a glass like this, pours the presidential water in, and then she produces a presidential seal napkin and a presidential seal paper uh, cover, cover lid. The precautions reminded some of a passage from Fire and Fury, which says the president had a long-time fear of being poisoned. One reason why he liked to eat at McDonald's. Nobody knew he was coming, and the food was safely pre-made. <laughs> at least you know what you're getting. I don't want to go into a restaurant and say, Mr. Trump would like a hamburger to go. Yeah. Now, I don't know what they're going to do to that hamburger. If they like me, I'm happy. <laughs> Another tidbit from Fire and Fury. The president has reportedly put some teeth into the rules for White House housekeepers. Nobody touch anything, especially not his toothbrush. But when it comes to the covered glass, that's water under the bridge. Look who else got a lid. President Obama and even Vice President Biden got them. Obama even had one when he was a guest on The Daily Show. Hail to the lid, or as one wit rechristened it, the white cover is a coffee. 
Talk about a cover-up. GDMO, CNN, New York. How did they not know that? How do people not know that? That's been, that's been a thing. You got to watch more on Filter. See you next week.